Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. Hi, this is Sonia Iris Lozada, host of Poetic Resurrection, and you're listening to Mysterious Goings On with Alex Greenwood. Bad things happen in bio-research, or at least they do when it comes to the latest book with our guest, James A. Ross. He is, <laughs> I'm looking forward to speaking with James today because he's had quite an interesting life, uh, let alone the fact that he's written some incredible work, and and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, just as a little introduction, he is a, at times in his life, he's been a Peace Corps volunteer in the Congo, a congressional staffer, and a Wall Street lawyer. Um, it's, it's a living, right? Uh, his debut novel, Hunting Teddy Roosevelt won the Independent Press Distinguished Favorite Award for Historical Fiction, is a finalist for the National Indie Excellence Award for Historical Fiction, and was shortlisted for a Goethe Historical Fiction Award. His debut mystery novel, Cold Water Revenge, appeared in April 2021 and reached number 15 on the Amazon Mystery Bestseller chart. No mean feat, ladies and gentlemen. The second book in the series, Cold Water Confession, is scheduled for release in April 2022. His short fiction has appeared in numerous literary journals, and his short story, Au Secours, was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. <laughs> I don't know if I'm qualified to interview Jim Ross, but we're going to find out. Sir, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Well, thank you, and I can add one more award to that list. I just heard yesterday that uh, the fire, I, that Coldwater Revenge won the Firebird Book Award uh, for legal thrillers. So, Cheers. Congrats. We're on a roll. Yeah. Now, if if only uh, the book and and Honey Teddy Roosevelt had not come out during the first uh, global bookstore shutdown since Gutenberg invented the printing press, maybe all those awards and uh, good reviews would uh, uh, have turned more rapidly into sales. But uh, we keep pushing. Keep pushing. That's all we can do. And uh, but it's it's got to be very very encouraging for you at this stage to to have all these accolades. It it is. Uh, uh, as I tell people uh, who, who listen, I, I wrote my first book when I was in college, and I published my first one the same year I started collecting Social Security. So it was a it was a long long hiatus. You know, part of it a learning curve. You know, like other writers, I have a trunk full of. Uh, 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 early works that probably ought to stay in the trunk. But, uh, you know, ultimately, if you've got that itch and you keep scratching it, um, you can get somewhere. I'm totally with you on that. I, I've got some uh, some uh, direct filed under D from my call, first couple of books I tried to write. and uh, But, you know, they're good experiences for you. They're usually pretty, uh, I found at least, self-referential. <laughs> and uh, probably that's part of the problem with my first two. But um, uh, the thing is, as you said, you got to keep plugging, keep doing it, and your work will improve, I assume. So, well, let's talk a little bit about you, though. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the lives behind great writers behind the writers I get uh, the privilege of speaking with here on Mysterious Goings On and 
Peace Corps in the Congo. Uh, there's got to be an anecdote in there. There's got to be what what led you to this? Did you how did how did you find the Congo? Uh, not well, liter- not literally. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a classic case of bait and switch. Um, uh, I was in college at the time. It was right after the first Arab, or the second Arab oil embargo, and you know gas lines and all that good stuff of the mid seventies. And uh, much like two thousand and eight uh, financial crash, the um, the effect of the Arab oil embargoes in nineteen seventy five would that um, the college recruiters simply weren't showing up at campus, hmm. and. Uh, but there was one guy who did, and he was the Peace Corps recruiter. And uh, you know, I had a conversation with him. He had the typical, you know, beard poncho, you know, regalia <laughs> of the day. And he was set up behind a rickety card table in the student union, with a poster behind him of a uh, Pacific island with palm trees, white beach sands, you know, <laughs> let girls in grass skirts. And so, you know, I struck up a conversation with him and it was like, yeah, we'll send you there. That's Fiji. Just sign on the dotted line. And, uh, you know, when I finally got my uh, uh, papers to head off to my assignment, it turned out to be the Congo, not uh, Fiji. And the only thing they had in common was the heat. <laughs> How long is a typical term uh, for the Peace Corps? Is it a, is it a set number of years or a, a tour? Yeah. It was two years, although in in the uh, in the Congo of the mid '70s, uh, you know, it was as war torn back then as it is now. So, uh, my two year tour was interrupted twice by uh, civil war and uh, invasion by Cuban mercenaries uh, coming over the border from Angola trying to depose the uh, then dictator. Um, there's a, actually for your listeners who would be interested, I did a. Uh, moth radio hour story on uh, some of the adventures uh, dealing with those uh, 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 Cuban-led mercenaries and so forth. And it's on my website, uh, jamesrossauthor.com. I love the moth and wow, yet another accolade there to to even be selected to be part of that. Um, I've got to ask you, since I'm a fairly regular listener, how was that experience to, to do the moth? It was fantastic. The Moth has a, a traveling troupe that visits, um, uh, or, you know, cities around the country, including my small town of Jackson, Wyoming. But we have a, uh, a cultural center here that holds about a thousand people, so that's uh, big enough for them to do a flyby. And when they do, they invite uh, local authors to join them. Right? In my case, they invited two, and uh, that's how we we hooked up. It's a fairly rigorous process. They uh, they don't let you show up and just start talking. They have uh, um, a whole team to prep you and to uh, get your uh, ramblings down to their 10 minute uh, time slot. And uh, you know, it, it took uh, a couple of months of practice with them before they were satisfied with the product. Product. So I, I give them high accolades for a very very professional production. Wow, two. I had no idea it was that lengthy. I assumed you'd say, yeah, we worked on it for a couple of days, but no. No, no. They worked on it until they were happy. Well, you know what I love about that, though, is obviously the moth, they, they, they sound well done and professional, but I mean, never did I sit there and think this has been rehearsed to death. I guess that's the that's part of the artistry of it, isn't it? it well, it it's very difficult to get a story arc uh, into a 10, 15-minute time slot. 
uh, it, you know, the, all the tools we have for developing, you know, A plots and B plots and so on and so forth, um, compressed into a 10 to 15 minute pitch, um, you know, it can wind up sounding like one of those, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical ads where they list all the possible <laughs> side effects at the end. You know? <laughs> so it takes practice. <laughs> well, you know, and concision is is an excellent uh, skill to have as a writer as well. So that's that's great. But uh, it's 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 interesting to me, and I'm going to have to look that up. I will look on your website. And folks, uh, don't worry about scribbling that down. It'll be in the show notes of the show here at uh, mgopod.com. Um, but I'll have to to, to listen to that. Um, yeah, I've got a bit of a performing background myself, but uh, I uh, I would love to just listen to it now, knowing that you really worked that hard on it, and uh, I'm fascinated. So I'll I'll go there. You know, there's another interesting thing in your bio that I had to ask about, and I, we don't have to go too long, but but you've also had a career, uh, your public service career also included being a congressional staffer, I believe. Yes, uh, I, and um, you know that came in handy in the Hunting Teddy Roosevelt book because those combined my three you know, the, the three biggest things I did in my life, the experience in Africa, my experience on Capitol Hill, and my experience on Wall Street. And they all came together in, in um, you know, in setting a book in, in the Congo, uh, writing about the uh, Roosevelt's uh, experience. And then uh, the other main character is J.P. Morgan. And yeah. my experience in Wall Street, uh, you know, brought them all together. So uh, it, it's a, a book that really uh, tapped into everything I had at the time, and fortunately, it seems to have been well received. Well, let's uh, let's let's get right into that. What what is the genesis of this book? How did uh, how did it come to you? Uh, quite by accident, but yeah, you, know, um, you know, thank God for the internet and uh, what it's done for uh, research. I was trying to pull all these pieces together uh, at the suggestion of my then agent. And as I'm researching um, the Congo and, and, you know, what characters from my time there might make an interesting book, I happened to run across um, an article in a 1909 Italian newspaper that talked about uh, Teddy Roosevelt and his safari and how when he was, um, when the ship carrying him to Africa stopped in Naples, the carabinieri there, the police, took off a passenger who had tried to stab Roosevelt with a knife. Oh. And I, you know, I've got a you know decent high school education, and I, I never heard about that in the history books. You know, of course, many of us are familiar with the later assassination attempt where he was shot in the chest and famously gave that speech that it took takes more than that to give a bull to kill a bull moose. Bull moose. Well, you know, uh, but I had never heard of a prior um, uh, attempt on his life. So I did a lot of research, and it's just not there anywhere in English. Oh, not wow. in the bios, not in the history books. I found a couple of blurbs in um, contemporaneous Italian newspapers that simply re, you know, re-reported what the Naples paper reported. But it led, to two, led me down a path to answer two questions. First, how come it's not in the history books? Mm-hmm. Um, how can you suppress something like a presidential assassination attempt? Who's got that power and why would they want to do it? And then secondly, um, you know, Roosevelt was, you know, had just finished his second term as president at the time. And following George Washington's 
Tim's example, he promised to run for a third consecutive term. But underline the word consecutive. Um, you know, who he, he's going to a part of the world that might kill him anyway. You know, this is before penicillin and, you know, cell phones. And he's off in the jungles for a year, leading the biggest safari undertaken since Stanley found Livingston. But the chances are pretty high he may not come back. So who would do such a thing? You know, who has the power and why would they do it? And hunting Teddy Roosevelt uh, is my attempt to answer both questions. I think in the, in the case of why the story didn't make the history books is because you didn't have international press coverage back in the day. And the, the um, outfits that were big enough to, uh, American outfits anyway, were big enough to carry it were all controlled by William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. who himself wanted to run for president in 1912 when Roosevelt might come back and run again. So I believe he simply suppressed the story to uh, um, enhance his own chances of running for president. And if you read the news coverage at the time, the pulp, the, the Hearst papers covered the Roosevelt safari like he was some sort of animal slaughtering buffoon and uh, you know, did their best to turn him from a powerful politician into a, a kind of joke. Hmm. But on the who would kill him side, um, that's a little bit uh, more interesting. My candidate is J.P. Morgan, um, uh, and, but since I, I, I can't prove that, this turned out to be a fiction book rather than a nonfiction book. But um, Morgan and company actually bought the 1900 convention that nominated uh, McKinley, a mm-hmm. very pro-business pro, pro, uh, uh, politician who they had in their hip pocket. And McKinley... Uh, to do a favor, the Republican Party took Roosevelt on as his vice president. But Roosevelt was from the opposite end of the party, the progressives. Right. And the folks in New York wanted him out of New York, where he was governor. And so McKinley took him on. He was going to bury him you know, in the vice presidential minutia. But then McKinley gets assassinated six months into his term. And Roosevelt brings the party in exactly the opposite direction. Uh, Morgan and Al did not get the pro-business candidate that he paid for. And Roosevelt spent the next seven and a half years uh, busting up their businesses, you know, and called trusts. Right. Mr. Trustbuster right there. And, Mr. Trustbuster. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got that whole that whole part of history, which I find fascinating. There, there's all these incredible events that are going on. I mean, you, you know, mm-hmm. something fantastic like the, the wreck of the Titanic right around then. And you've got, you've got Upton Sinclair. You've got all these these different factors coming to bear. So it must have been a very rich uh, tapestry for you to paint on. It was wonderful. But I have to tell you, on the marketing and sales side of uh, uh, pitching a book like that, Mm -hmm. there is a real generational shift um, within the publishing industry uh, that you can't lose sight of when you uh, assume that your audience, whether it's agents or publishers, uh, can even, even... know the difference between the two Roosevelts. I can't tell you the number of times that I dealt with editors or publishers who mixed up Franklin and Taddy, who had no idea of European politics at the turn of the century. Didn't, you know, the the lead up to uh, World War I and the preparations of Germany for it in Africa, um, just not something, which is a big part of the book, um, just not familiar uh, to a big part of the audience, including uh, the gatekeepers. And that gets back to the moth story. I have to tell you that I, I've done a lot of oral storytelling here in Jackson. 
uh, we have a, a, a local contest called Cabin Fever Story Slam, and it's composed mostly of, uh, you know, the working uh, age group uh, here in the Teton Valley. And I learned from them that if I told the story that was said anywhere earlier than about 1980, I could not count on common cultural references. You know, if I told a story set in the Vietnam War and I, I was talked about Ho Chi Minh, I could see, no, nobody here knows that was the leader of Vietnam during the, the, the war. You know, they mm -hmm. think it's an entree at the local Thai restaurant. So, <laughs> yeah, that helped in putting Hunting Teddy Roosevelt together. I finally clued in that I'm going to have to get some history lessons in here without slowing down the narrative. And that was... Um, that was almost the biggest challenge of the book, how to keep the history without um, ruining the, the music and the rhythm of the narrative. Yeah, I've, I had a, a recent guest who was an historian by trade before he became a, a retired and became a fiction author, and he said that it's unfortunate that uh, most Americans don't get their history from historians. <laughs> mm. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk, let's move from there. I, as much as I'd love to discuss more because TR is such a fascinating, fascinating person. I, and that book, by the way, is, is quite, as I said to you, I think offline is going to the top of my, uh, stack. Uh, let's talk though about, uh, uh, cold water revenge. Yes. Yeah. Well, the story behind that one is pretty interesting. I, I have two sons very close in age together. And when, uh, they're about to enter high school. Their mother said to me, uh, no, my worst nightmare is that they fall for the same girl. And voila, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the brother detectives of Coldwater Revenge were born. Um, you know, it, it, in its first draft, uh, they were bachelor brothers uh, involved with the, the same woman and, you know, all the mayhem that follows. Um, sadly, in the final draft, my then agent confirmed um, uh, persuaded me to give one of the brothers a family because he thought otherwise the Wall Street brother was so un such an uptight, unsympathetic uh, Wall Street jerk that nobody would like him. And you know, so give his other, you know, give his brother a family so he can be the beloved uncle to them. And uh, I turned out to improve the book greatly, but my first reaction was, "What do you mean he's unlikable? He's me." <laughs> And not too thinly disguised, um, but he was right. <laughs> well, tell us about uh, about about it. What's going on here with these these wonderful uh, brothers? What's going on in this book? Well, that you know, they're both um, very bright and very uh, uh, capable, ambitious men, but in different ways. You know, they they come from this small town that borders. Um, Canada. Uh, it's across the lake from uh, uh, Quebec. And, uh, you know, with a long history of, you know, live and let live unlawful commerce, you know, across the waterway. It was, uh, you know, in the Civil War era, it was um, sending runaway slaves up to Canada. In the 20s, it was, you know, liquor in the, you know, 70s and marijuana in the 80s cocaine and you know what have you so it's one of those kind of towns with you know boats sipping back and forth and uh they grew up with it because their dad was the local sheriff and um you know unfortunately you know he had a financial interest in some of those goings on 
and the brothers found out about it when he was killed. Um, and they each took a different task, tack rather. The younger brother followed in his dad's footsteps and ran for election uh, as local sheriff. And I guess everybody voted for him because he had the same name and they might've figured it was the same. You know, Sheriff Morgan, they'd always voted for. But the other one escaped. Now he, uh, uh, in, in the girlfriends, they had a common piece. One of them was, uh, you know, came from a, a well-heeled, aristocratic, intelligentsia kind of family. And the older brother went in that direction. I went off to college, did well, went to law school, did well, went to Wall Street and did well. And um, as the book takes place, uh, he's coming back home to visit his family just as a murder happens. Mm. And the uh, younger brother, who's the local sheriff, um, enlists his aid in helping to solve the, uh, the murder because it includes uh, you know, evidence of a financial fiddle in the local biotech community and, and uh, older brother is well equipped to uh, do the kind of financial and business sleuthing that's gonna help out the brother. Unfortunately, in the process, um, that brother, the financial whiz, begins to uncover evidence that his younger brother, the sheriff, um, may be complicit in the murder. Not that he did it, but that the, the woman that the older brother used to date and the younger brother is now philandering with uh, may be a murderess and she oh may my. be um, so it's uh, it's a family drama it's of course cultural um, uh, view of the uh, small communities that uh, border uh, French Quebec and, and how they've uh, uh, had this uh, centuries-long practice of uh, casual law enforcement and and uh, uh, all that goes with it. And uh, so it's a combination, brother story, family drama, biotech and financial fiddle. Uh, and in the end, um, I, I, uh, while the mystery is solved, the brothers, the difference between the brothers remains as you know, different as chalk and cheese. And they've set up for another adventure in book two. Yeah. I, uh, I signed a three book contract with Level Best uh, publishers into a small mystery house and have committed to uh, delivering a book uh, next year and the year after. We'll see if there's more depending on uh, how it does. Now, would you say that one book favors the point of view of one of the brothers more than the other, uh, the first two books? You, you, I can tell you're a writer. Yes, the first, <laughs> the first book is from the point of view of the Wall Street brother. The second point of view the book is from the point of view of the cop brother. And in the third book, they're going to have their uh, um, confrontation about whose lifestyle choices and uh, ethics and you know, way of moving through the world is, uh, you know, the one that the family should go in. And uh, it's not clear what the outcome is going to be. It, you know, and that second book is Cold Water Confession. So we have Cold yes. Water Revenge and then Cold Water Confession. And yes. and your uh, revenge being Tom's story and book right. two, Cold Water Confession, is Joe's. Right. Let me ask you a, a more of a writerly question here. Uh, so you, 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 you hit the jackpot. You get a three-book deal. How did you feel? Was, was there, was it, I'm sure it was euphoria and happiness and all that. Was there any trepidation about, oh my gosh, I've got to write three books? Or was it more like, oh my gosh, yes, I get to write three books? Um, 
You know, uh, it, it was neither. Uh, I have, mm. uh, because the first book, Hunting Teddy Roosevelt, was just out, just as the bookstores were closing down for COVID, I was really focused on the uh, marketing and sales uh, and distribution ability of any um, of the publishers I might hook up with, including uh, this mystery house. You know, how are you handling COVID? Yeah. And I had been in extensive discussions with the publisher of Teddy, Hunting Teddy Roosevelt about delaying the launch of the book um, until, you know, bookstores had opened again. You know, given my, my own Wall Street background, right. that seemed to me pretty fundamental. You don't launch into a black hole. And so when I got a three book deal with another a mystery house, quick on top of that, at a time when the bookstores were still closed and um, you know, we're beginning to realize that even when they open up again, that one of the groups that could not work from home were the book printers. So the bookstores are going to open up, but the printers aren't going to have books to go into them unless you happen to be, you know, Stephen King or somebody like that, who's at the top of the list and maybe has, you know, but for Jim Ross, you know, getting his first books published, you know, uh, as I said, same year you start collecting social security, you're not at the head of that list. So my reaction was all on the business side, to tell you the truth. This is great, but it couldn't be more ill-timed. Yeah, that's not what I expected at all. But I, with your Wall Street background, that does make a lot of sense. Um, well, how do you feel now? What's What do you think? Because uh, I want to ask you as a, as a fellow writer who's trying to market work, how do you feel now about the market? How do you feel about the way uh, things are going? Um, you know, I, I think uh, most of us authors, um, you know, focus on the the book. You know, yeah. we've spent, you know, years sometimes uh, getting it to a point of, air quotes perfection and yeah. feel that we've um you know we've made it to the finish line but the truth is you know it's the starting line and the next pieces of it don't come naturally to a lot of artists the self-promotion you know even the getting the agents and the publishers but once you get to that point there's been such consolidation in the industry that what used to be uh, you know the back office uh, operations at, at many publishers that took care of, um, you know, different kinds of rights and distribution and, you know, the, the sales and marketing piece, they've shrunk to the point where, as, um, even the majors, but particularly in the, the niche um, uh, publishers, they don't have the horsepower. Yeah. So if you're not ready, willing, and able to step up and lead, direct, um, quality control and promote your, you know, your fantastic book can just disappear into the ether. Yeah. And um, so it, it's, it's a side business. I, uh, you know, I now I write a couple hours a day and I market a couple hours a day. Is there, is there anything else that occupies your time? I, you are collecting social. I understand that, but <laughs> a, a, a man as accomplished as you, I wonder that are you consulting? Are you doing other things or take yeah, it easy? I, uh, I, I I fill out my time with uh, I'm on the board of a couple of charitable organizations, nice. and uh, I live in uh, the Teton Valley of Wyoming, where you're surrounded by you know trout streams and mountains and uh, more elk than people most of the year. So uh, <laughs> the, you know there's plenty of outdoor activity. 
and uh, yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds heavenly. I've I've only of course seen photos, but it's on my my list to to visit there. Um, yeah, I I well I hate to I hate to say goodbye, but I'd like before we do just to ask you, um, what's the best way to pick up your books? Where do you want to send people to buy these wonderful books? The the um, the one stop shopping uh, for my books, my uh, newsletter, my live performances, links to my short stories, and so forth is my website, jamesrossauthor.com. But if you want to pick up a book and have it tomorrow, uh, Amazon's the way to go. Indeed it is. And by the way, check out uh, jamesrossauthor.com. I'm looking at it now. It's got a nice light blue color. It's a really nice picture there of uh, our guest today. Links and all sorts of stuff. And the performances is right here. I'm clicking on it as we speak. Um, The the moth, everything. This is so grand. Oh, there's even YouTube. I love this. See, see, this is what he's talking about, listeners, fellow writers. He is actually talking the talk and walking the the walk and the walk when it comes to marketing himself and getting that uh, brand persona out there. Uh, sir, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. I look forward uh, in particular to starting with Teddy Roosevelt and moving up from there. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, you betcha. I look forward to hearing the, uh, the live broadcast. You betcha. All right. And don't forget, listeners, go to MGOPod.com for uh, the complete show notes, which includes all the links, and you'll find some other goodies there uh, concerning Mr. Ross's uh, stuff that you're going to want to check out. So check that out there again. All righty. Thanks again to our guest today, James Ross. And uh, please get out there and get that book. And when you write that review, tell the world you heard it here on Mysterious Goings On. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.